0: talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Yeah, it's what we say. So that's right, and because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give.
1: Damy and Gospada, это prevail, и ваш ведущий Greg Ollier.
0: I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Kirby Summers is here. She is the author of a new book that dropped last week called Ghislaine Maxwell, an Unauthorized Biography. So we're going to talk to her about that, about her own experiences, about the book, about Ghislaine, and about Ghislaine's father, Robert Maxwell, who I think is one of the most fascinating scoundrels of the 20th century. It's a great discussion. Before we get to it, Kirby asked me to write the foreword for her book, and I did. So rather than go through a a long, detailed introduction, I think I'm just going to read what I wrote in the foreword. So here goes. It was bound to happen sooner or later. The laws of karma demanded it. One of the victims of the unimaginably horrific global sex trafficking trade would survive the abuse... Baptize herself in the fire of her torment and rise up to take on her oppressors. That's who Kirby Summers is, and that is what she has, against all odds, managed to do. When Bruce Wayne was a boy, he watched helplessly as his parents were murdered by a common street thug. Most people would never have recovered from such devastating trauma. Not young Bruce. He dedicated himself to a life of crime fighting and became the Batman. Kirby's origin story is more horrifying than Bruce Wayne's. Impregnated by her rapist, who forced her way into her apartment after their movie date, she was desperate for money to get an abortion. For help, she turned to her older sister, who was something of a mother figure to her. It was her sister, her own flesh and blood, who introduced her to the brothel, who fed her to the cruel machine of sex trafficking. That initial betrayal led Kirby Summers to be claimed by a man who was fabulously wealthy, but also sick, perverted, and evil. A comic book bad guy, but all too real. For years, Kirby was his sex slave. Not in a story-of-o sort of way, but an actual slave, effectively owned by this man, forced to indulge his disgusting, carnal desires. When she finally escaped from his clutches, she had her Bruce Wayne moment. She dedicated her life to exposing not only him, but all of the abominable predators like him, that meant, primarily, the neplus ultra of sex-trafficking villains, Jeffrey Epstein. It was through her relentless, painstaking work on the Epstein case that I got to know Kirby's work. The machine went on the attack, as it does. The men, it's mostly but not exclusively men, in this perverted club are men of privilege and power and wealth, and they use every means at their disposal to silence their accusers. Victims are discredited, trolled, sued, harassed, threatened, mentally abused, whatever tactics their devious minds cook up. Petty males have been doing this for centuries, of course. To the Empress Lydia, to Catherine the Great, to any powerful woman they perceive as a threat. Kirby is no exception. To this day, her abuser wants us to think she's nuts, that her work is garbage, that she has some ulterior motive in doing what she does. What they don't understand is that Kirby Summers is Batman. Watching her work, marveling at what she has accomplished, It is impossible not to admire her. Bruce Wayne had Alfred the butler, a mansion, and millions of dollars inherited from his father to ease his transition into Batmanhood. Being neither fictional nor rich, Kirby lacks these fantastical resources. But she doesn't need them, because like the Cape Crusader, she is relentless, unwavering, and steadfast in her quest to root out the evildoers. My privilege, being a white man, is to turn away, to stop looking, to think about other things. Kirby never looks away. She is always watching. She's forever vigilant. And she will never stop. That is her superpower. And now, she has fixed her gaze on the vilest female villain since Elizabeth Bathory. In the larger story of the global sex trafficking trade, Ghislaine Maxwell is one of the most infamous and most formidable bad guys. Her father was a notorious spy, a foreigner who managed to ingratiate himself into the highest reaches of the British establishment. Her business partner, Jeffrey Epstein, was also a spy and an arms dealer, as well as a prolific sex trafficker and collector of Compromont. Already tight with Britain's Prince Andrew, as a New York socialite, Ghislaine Maxwell befriended the rich and powerful. Her sisters work in big tech. Her boyfriend, or is he her husband, works in shipping. How does this make any sense? Who is Ghislaine Maxwell, really? How did she become such a monster? In this remarkable volume, Kirby Summers finds out. She always finds out. We'll be right back with Kirby Summers. This is a little song I wrote for CPAC. <laughs> the comic ping pong basement tapes The list of Trump's CI escapes A treasure trove of sicko-kitty porn The entire pedo archive Rudy found in Carchive and every email sent by David Korn on Satoshi Nakamoto There's his real name and a photo and the crypto wallet password to his stash There's footage of Benghazi Lady Lindsay's Bakabatsy and items that they found in Ivanka's trash it's HRC and AOC, and the squad's black op. More gross shit than the men's room of the local truck stop. When the truth is all revealed, it'll hit you like a mic drop. It's, ooh, Hunter Biden's laptop. It's, ooh, Hunter Biden's laptop. Kirby Summers, welcome to Prevail.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Craig. It's so exciting.
0: No, it's great to to finally talk to you in this format because I followed you for such a long time on Twitter, and I subscribed to your Patreon. Patreon, Patreon. Yes, I never know.
1: Patreon, I, I think. I don't know
0: how to say it. Patreon. Um, we can put the syllable wherever we want. Patreon. Um,
1: yeah, true.
0: And you know, you just sort of diligently go along doing relentless work, which I very much admire because it's, it's a topic that people tend to shy away from sex trafficking, not being, you know, uh, it's hard to read about it, frankly, all the time. It's, it's gotta be uh, difficult to process because it's just, it's so heinous what these people do. Um, so I applaud you for, um, you know, your relentlessness and your courage in, you know, not walking away from this and, and keeping up the fight.
1: You know, I it it was um sort of inevitable. The minute I heard that Epstein had been arrested, I was walking, I was walking down the street um with my then boyfriend, and we slipped into the lobby of a hotel and I said, Listen, I have to tell you something. My life is gonna change starting tomorrow. And I sat him down and I gave him a history of you know, what I had been through and I said, uh, Ronan Farrow brought this to everyone's attention. However, this is going to really take it to the next level Um, because what we were able to see in Ronan Farrow's uh, book, Catch and Kill, and in the story with Rose McGowan was Harvey Weinstein's underhanded ways and how to keep women that he preyed upon, women and girls, that he preyed upon um, silent and the sort of black art of having them followed and having them threatened, and even threatening Ronan Farrow. And at the time, you know, I reached out to Farrow and he and I communicated, and I said, Yeah, you know, that's what they do. That's what's happened to me for a very, very long time. And but but then it took the me too kind of thing a, a step or two forward. And when Jeffrey Epstein was arrested, I knew my life was going to change because, you know, everybody is interconnected. And we were about to learn that this happens to many women and many girls. And so I it was I just had to be part of it because I thought I have so many of the missing pieces. I need to share this.
0: Well, it's it's remarkable that that you have and that you do. And You mentioned Epstein getting arrested. I was shocked when that happened because I really thought this is a guy who clearly he's he's gotten away with everything for this long. He must I don't know why he's gotten away with these very obvious crimes and why he gets these sweetheart deals. But he seems to me like he's untouchable. And obviously, he's not untouchable in any in any way, shape or form. So what did you think when you heard the news that that he was arrested? What was your first reaction?
1: Well, he had been untouchable, frankly, for over 30 years. Um, and, and men like him, you know, let's not forget Alex Acosta's, I was told to back off, he belongs to intelligence, referring to Jeffrey Epstein. Um, and men like him are typically untouchable. I think it was social media. Uh, I think it was, let's say, Virginia Giffray getting on Twitter and starting to talk about the situation. I think it was Julie K. Brown's yeah. investigative reporting that helped sort of rebring it to people's into people's homes in a way that people were outraged because suddenly we could on social media talk about it and people who were victims of other high-profile. Uh, predators who have never been caught and are still not caught began to follow the story and it grew and grew and grew Um, I think he got arrested because there was just a relentlessness about it they had to appease the public I don't think he would have been and in fact he was tipped off you know he was tipped off again he was in France but I think this time he thought it was going to be easy for him as it had been the first time but apparently no somebody wanted him gone
0: yeah I, it was it was really shocking to me and in, in a good way i have to say because what we've learned i think looking at this the last especially the last 10 years or so is just right. how pervasive it is and how and how awful it is and the the as you call it the black arts the the, the dark arts the methods that these people yeah. these predators these rapists use to cover their tracks, whether it's um, people within organizations like Scientology, you know, right. that just kind yep. of keep everything covered up or the Catholic church for that matter, keeping things sure. covered up. And then you have uh, Nexium, which is a smaller uh, cult, but still mm-hmm. a cult that was predicated around this kind of thing where, where you know, right. Keith Ranieri is in prison for sex trafficking. Um, yep. You know, And the, the methods that he used to just fuck with people that tried to push back against him um, are awful. They're just awful. And it makes the, 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 the result of that, when that's focused on you, is to make you just sort of throw up your hands and give up. And it's, it worked, it worked for a long, long time. And probably in some cases it still works. So I think we are at a, what I hope is a really big turning point here in society where this sort of thing just can't be covered up and just isn't acceptable anymore. I was going to save this for later, but uh, we've had one of the, the positive things that came out of the, or I should say the silver linings of the the horrible four years of, of Donald Trump is that the black lives matter movement, I think came out of that. I don't think you have one without the other necessarily. And there is this push now to really look back on Uh, history, on on, on Black American history, and all the institutionalized racism that, you know, pervaded this country since its founding, that history books tend to sort of gloss over. Now, we have that. We have not had Women's Lives Matter, you know? There isn't a movement like that in that concentrated way, and I think that's unfair, and I think that that's something that should happen, because if you look back at the rights of women in this country, it's, it's, it's it's a, it's laughable. Women couldn't vote until 1920. It's, years. it's crazy. Um, and you have these stories. And I, I was reading um, in your book, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, an unauthorized biography. Towards the end, there's the story about the um, the Dutch model. Yes. Made accusations about the Prince of Monaco. And even in the newspaper reports, just being laughed off as being, oh, yeah. she's crazy. Oh, this or that. And you know, gaslit basically. And I, well, I'd like to get a, done you know.
1: to everyone. Yeah, if if you yeah. came out and you were it, with Karen Mulder, she was a very well-known fashion model at the time. And when she started to speak, um, she had enough visibility that what she said had to be drowned out by noises of "you're crazy," right? <laughs> Yeah. You, you, you're a drug addict, uh, you're this or you're that. You had to have a label so that you could be discredited in front of normal people. And that's what historically they did. They did the same thing with Jeffrey Epstein's victims uh, back in Palm Beach. Uh, Alan Dershowitz came in and pulled up their, their MySpace pages and said, oh, this one is um, a, a drug addict or this one is a prostitute. They're, they're 14-year-old girls. Um, And so historically, you're just discredited so that you don't uh, tell the truth. And if the truth sounds too, you know, in in my book and one of my other books, I have a whole whole chapter on if the truth is too big to believe. So, for example, you have Bill Clinton or Donald Trump or Prince Andrew, and you're forced to have sex with someone of that stature no one's going to believe you because it's too over the top well now we know different right now we know that hey you know what that can happen that did happen it's been happening
0: it's really crazy and i i i I, crazy in the sense of unimaginable and you know like i said i i I hope that this is the beginning of a movement that shines light on this stuff um but let's get to your book because you've written a couple of books now and your books are mostly about your own, uh, you know, heinous treatment at the hands of your abuser, and you've written about Jeffrey Epstein. Now you've written about Ghislaine Maxwell. So why her? Why this? Why now? What drew you to this particular person to write about?
1: Well, historically, we've never seen a woman uh, be accused of rape, a woman of and especially not a woman of means. The only other woman that comes to mind is, what was her name, Arlene Warnes?
0: Yeah, Monster from the movie. Yeah, Monster. yeah, yeah.
1: And, yeah, but she, but with the Arlene Warner story, you know, she went around and she killed guys, right? She killed grown men and she uh, was out there on the streets and she was poor, you know, she was primarily homeless. Then we have Ghislaine Maxwell, who was born into a life of privilege to a very wealthy family, to this 53, now into this 53-room mansion home called Headington Hill Hall. And you don't expect someone who has had that kind of sort of background to become a monster. For me, she represented, let's say, all of the bad mothers, many of us have had all of the bad older sisters, many of us have had all of the bad aunts that have never really made the the media, right? So the fact that she is a woman, and we are sort of, even as we're little, and we're children, or even as we're older, if you're a woman, and that's why, by the way, the intelligence agencies use women, is because women are easier to trust. So you, you know, you fall for a lie. She went around saying, oh, I'm Jeffrey Epstein's wife. People believed that. So I just thought it. Was, she was a fascinating character. She is a fascinating character. I think her crimes, um, sadly, I think her crimes mostly are going to be covered up as they have been. She's only been accused for four, four victims out of what, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands. But it's, it's a beginning. I, you know, it's a beginning, and, and I, I I like to change.
0: Well, you're right that she's fascinating in in as a character, because I think she's, it's really hard to get a, a beat on her. You mentioned um, the serial killer, uh, the what's her name, Warnus? Yeah, yeah, Arlene. There was historically a woman named, a noble woman named Elizabeth Bathory, and I put this in the forward to your book, right. who was a, uh, a noble woman in medieval Hungary, and she was a serial killer. She would go and have her people bring these young girls back, and she would kill them and bathe in their blood and weird, creepy, awful stuff like that. So that's the last time that I remember that happening. That was like 500 years ago, yeah.
1: Yeah, you don't really hear about it in modern day, but we have them.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell
1: you, But may I just add this one last point? Of course. The reason we have someone like Ghislaine Maxwell is because um, you know, we're still in a man's world. And so she grew up with a very domineering man, Robert Maxwell. And so she grew up with that sort of, I have to please the guy sort of yeah. mentality. So we, we we're still in that world. I think if we were in a world where women ran the world, I don't think we would have someone like her. I think that would, would not really happen, but I think she is more common than we would like to think or that we will ever know.
0: Yeah, she's a she's a creature of the patriarchy, and she's yes. somebody who um, abets the patriarchy. She's a woman who abets the patriarchy, and you see them obviously they're not all rapists and horrible people and sex traffickers, but you do see people like that on, you know, Newsmax and OAN and at the MAGA rallies and, you know, these women who... True you know, or basically going against uh, betraying their own biology, so to speak. But it does happen. Now, Maxwell, one of the things that's so weird about her, I think, I think weird, by the way, is a word to describe her. Every time I I see something about her or read something about her, I'm like, that's so weird. She's just so, it's just so weird. That's, I know that's not a, a fancy word, but that's the word that comes to mind. Right. And one of the things that's weird is the relationship between her and Jeffrey, which has been, I think, misrepresented in the press because the press doesn't understand it either, and they've been told things. You know, it maybe yeah. it's it's uh, it's his girlfriend, it's his partner, it's his friend, it's his. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, and then you have the whole Jeffrey Epstein less Wexner stuff, which you know, right? Is a, there's some frisson of of eroticism going on there too. So just on a on a baseline level. What do you think was going on with those two? How would you characterize their relationship? Well, I've,
1: always, I've always said that they were not boyfriend and girlfriend. And I'm going to read Virginia's words um, from a deposition that Virginia Jeffrey gave. I couldn't understand why Ghislaine and Jeffrey had such an openly intimate relationship, but yet never regarded themselves as partners. They rarely kissed and never held hands or even slept in the same bed. It was more like a sexual arrangement between the two of them. She brings in the girls for his particular taste and he supplies to the lavish lifestyle she was accustomed to before her family lost all of their fortune. So even the um, women and the girls who were trapped in in, into their nest of trafficking, human trafficking and blackmail did not see them interact like a normal couple. I, I, because I, you know, I've, I've known about this kind of thing for, for decades. I knew that their job was a, a mutually sort of, it was just a job, you know, they were, they, they, they came together. He was able to have the money and it's, it's, I do not believe the money came from Robert Maxwell. I believe the money was funneled through, let's say, uh, Leslie Wexner, in the uh, from a certain point to a to another point, and then afterwards through Leon Black, these are you know like the funnel points, which gave Epstein the facade that he was quote a billionaire, but he was not, as we all know now. She had the contacts that she made with her father. He, her father introduced her to the heads of states. He took her to Washington and he introduced her to presidents. He took her to Israel, he took her everywhere. So she had all of these contacts. And uh, when her father died on November 5th of 1991, Ghislaine um, didn't want to lose um, the life that she had, you know, and she, and that's when they sort of came together. And this began this, this nightmare, this, this, you know, this collaboration of two very evil people.
0: One of the things in your book, one of the stories that you tell about her, Galen, when she was a little kid, I yeah. think stood out for me and I think it's, I wanna talk about Robert Maxwell at length in a minute, but sure. um, she was, I don't know, five, six years old, living, as you said, in that big fancy house, um, country manor, whatever you wanna call it. And she had a pony and she kind of just let the pony and wander around, and the pony, you know, basically took a dump on the tennis court, you know, as ponies will, not caring. And <laughs> the woman who I, I forget what her name was, who tells this story, who you're you're quoting from her as the primary source is, she knows she's going to get punished for it, and she just doesn't really even care that much. And you know, she gets to pick which which right. it, instrument of torture her father beats her with, um, which seems. Crazy, you know, and she's very blase, even at that young age, about the whole thing. Like, um, doesn't really yeah. care that she did this with the horse, doesn't really care about whatever pain she's going to suffer. True. Yeah. Is she doing it to get attention of her father? Is she doing it because she's just so, you know, rich and self uh, absorbed that she doesn't care? I don't know. And then the woman who is um, telling the story has a a fantasy about the whole thing. And, and the yes. fantasy involves Robert Maxwell, basically d- pulling down her knickers and caning her. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Up, uh, it, you know, yeah. S
0: and stuff. So there's lots of that built in here, but I wonder if that story in some way isn't emblematic of the entire character of her, like that one story, you can get a lot of character out of what do you, what do you think?
1: Well, um, I knew people would be shocked to hear that story, but I think we have to remember that she's from the generation where parents still beat their children. Uh, we're just listening to this as a sort of like a an example that we don't kind of think, oh well, wealthy parents beat their kids. Um, you know, I, I think that people. She's going to be sixty at the end of this year. So I think people of that generation had parents who beat them. I, I, that's one one way that I look at it. And the other way that I look at it is her mother was a subservient woman to her husband. Yeah, she wasn't. So. Yeah, she and so that I think with and and I think Elaine was nine at the time that she was acting very blase and she was. Uh, Talking to a, a much older Eleanor Barry at the time, who yes, she had a crush on. It's very obvious she had a crush on Robert Maxwell, and 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 she knows she's going to get a beating. And she Eleanor wants to know, well, what are you going to be beat with? And Ghislaine takes her back into the house into this room, and she shows her a table, and on the table are all of these different objects that she can choose from, and she. She tells her what she's going to choose, and and of course, Eleanor, who is you know, no one should talk to a nine year old in the way that Eleanor does, kind of says, "Well, you know, I would I would select uh, the whip," <laughs> and she shares with her this sexual fantasy. I think that it, it 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 may have been more people like, and I hate to say this. But it may have been more the people that surrounded them who would have these conversations with these children that perhaps played a role into how they behaved. That said, you know, I I take the reader throughout 30 years of Ghislaine's life, the first part of her life, and almost every chapter that features Ghislaine has a person connected to that chapter who is involved with some kind of... um, odd uh, sexual assault either against children or you know their own life they have a weird thing going on so yeah, definitely yeah so she was just around surre- i don't think in that world they she could have been protected i think that's just that's the way they were but i don't hear while i don't think that let's say ian or kevin are honest people because you know i i followed the trial <laughs> many years ago and i know they were lying and i don't understand how they too escaped justice from our knowledge they didn't decide to go and become abusive physically with you know with other people they were just abusive financially so that's the difference that i see
0: now have you ever did you ever meet any either of these people in real life no okay so i know someone who i can't say who who met and had a business interaction with her and said that in person she was really shallow and braggy about oh my father this and oh well you know my father that blah 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 kind of like megan mccain on the view always talking about her dad and not yeah um does that square with your uh impression of what she's like
1: yes um she was always bragging about her father is anything i've was able and by the way, as I started my research a couple of years ago, because I had written a couple of books on Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine, um, and as I began working on the book about Ghislaine Maxwell exclusively, I noticed that there was so much that had been scrubbed from the internet, and I and I want to point out that that sort of followed in the it followed the same format that Robert Maxwell used in order to keep the public looking at him in a favorable way, he did all kinds of things. You know, there was a writer who wrote a book and before it could get out to the store, he purchased the rights, you know, he just bought out the store um, so that that book would not get there. She too kind of Created a fantasy, so she would tell things to people, but primarily she did a lot of bragging about her father. Um, I think she was perhaps secretly in love with her father. That's really my personal view.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah. Now, when you told me that you were writing this book, I was like, "Oh boy, here we go." Uh, (laughs) I I felt I, I felt scared for you, but. Having read it, it's a, it is a I think it's a very sympathetic portrait of her, as, as sympathetic as you could be to somebody so awful. But I think you right. really do, you know, you're not just saying, this person's a jerk. This is how she did this. This is how she did that. I think there is sympathy there where you do look at her and say, okay, yeah, she did terrible things later on, but she was somebody who was, you know, not treated well and was neglected or abused in her own right.
1: Well, I, I, I I don't I, I'm not excusing her I kind of wanted to write an impartial yeah an impartial book and I wanted the reader to walk away forming their own idea of who Ghislaine Maxwell was. You know she was involved there's a, a guy who was her boyfriend from 1986 through 1990. He was a count. And his father was a criminal, you know, he, he was a drug addict, and he was doing all kinds of illegal things. And that's been totally scrubbed from the internet. And it can only be seen, be seen in my book, but she was drawn to these, um, these men who were, who seemed smooth and who seemed to be bigger than life but who's if you dig you don't even have to dig that much to see how dirty they are like you know someone said of robert maxwell that he was still a peasant that it didn't take a lot to know that he was a peasant that's
0: a good quote yeah
1: yeah (laughs) yeah i liked it
0: um well my point is that i think you did a good job presenting it and you. you weren't you weren't in any way sort of uh judgmental I guess is the word I'm looking for so right. okay um I always forget to do this but we're gonna take a quick break sure. and we'll be right back with Kirby Summers It's where you learned At least 83 Trump is a Russian asset That it's time to establish a direct contact with Donald Trump January 6th was never just a political rally An insurrection, an attempted overthrow of the federal government The origins of coronavirus Accidentally, non-intentional, of a laboratory that was doing research on these viruses How the Crown covered up child abuse The vast majority of those people never imagined for one moment they were effectively participating in the concealment of child abuse but they did. Rudy is probably in violation
1: of Faro law and the truth about Jeffrey Epstein. It's really around this it so
0: I'm Zev Shalev. Join me at Narrative. It's where truth lives at narrative.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: There is a world beneath our own Created over a century ago by America's original gangsters, Meyer Lansky, Lucky Luciano, Al Capone. And it was infiltrated almost immediately by the world's most formidable spies. The new podcast, The World Beneath, illuminates the untold 100-year history of mobsters and spies. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
0: Okay, we're back with Kirby Summers, author of Glane Maxwell, an unauthorized biography. Now, I, you might not know this. I wrote a novel called Totally Killer, which was set in 1991 in New York. And the conceit of it, it's, it's sort of this B-movie B idea, is that uh, this was a time when um, there was... A recession and it was hard for recent college graduates especially to find jobs right okay so the idea of the book is they get hooked in the the main character this woman who's 23 gets hooked into a crooked employment agency and they give her this wonderful job but in order to keep the wonderful job she has to go kill somebody that's the kind of the conceit of the whole thing okay so what's fun about the book in so far as it is fun is that it's all set in 1991. So I did this deep dive of everything that happened that year. And one of the things that happens in my book, my novel, which I wrote in, I don't know, 2008 or 2007 or something like that, is that the the main character in my book is on the yacht at Grand Cayman and kills Robert Maxwell.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: Without realizing that that's, that's who he is. And I went back and I reread that chapter recently after all this stuff had come out and I'm like, kind of nail him, You know, I think, I, I think my, my, my portrayal of him is, is pretty accurate. Like, you know, arrogant kind of roguishly charming, but my God, what a scoundrel. I mean, this guy now, no, in my book, I don't present him as a scoundrel, but in real life, such a scoundrel. I mean, one of the most malignantly narcissistic just didn't give a a shit about anybody else to to the point where he would literally wipe his own shit on flannel and leave it around on the floor for his uh, staff to pick up because he was too lazy to flush the toilet. Um, And I don't think he cared about anything or anybody or any cause. I know supposedly he was a Zionist, but I don't think he even cared about that. I think he just kind of went around and did whatever the hell he wanted at that moment and played this agency of spies against that agency of spies and just wanted to accumulate power and wealth. And he didn't give a damn how he did it or how many people he hurt in the process. So a lot of your book is about Robert Maxwell. And I wanted to ask you questions about, um, you know, your research into him. So uh, first of all, it seems like he, I mean, one thing, I think a lot of uh, these abusers have this in common, he, he pretty much hated women, right, would you say?
1: I think, yeah, he just uh, used women. Yeah, he didn't really like them.
0: Yeah, um, other than his mom, there's this, this sort of glowing idea of who his mother was. But I wanted to ask you about that too, because mm-hmm. he has this origin story, which is pretty amazing, where you know, he's born in some little podunk in what is now uh, Czechoslovakia, right and, and um is of you know they're jewish jewish family i think his his given name was abraham Yes. and you know then the nazis come and round everybody up and he leaves he manages to escape and he's fighting for the um the free czech underground and then he goes yes. to france and he fights for france and then he goes to uh great britain and he's fighting in the british army and he's He's heroic in the war, even though it turns out later on that he did some bad things to you know, Germans. Um, but this business about, his and, his and his entire family goes to the concentration camps and dies in the Holocaust, which is right. obviously awful. Now, I don't know the story, like, how do we know that? Is, are, are there other um, reports of that, or is it all from him? Did, did he have brothers and sisters who survived? Well, it
1: was his immediate family who died. So his parents and his, um, and his siblings, although two siblings, almost like what happened in his own family, two siblings died young right. of illnesses. Um, yeah. So he, had, he also came from a very large family. Um, he does have uncles and, and, and these people survived and they told their story. Um, in the book um, Robert Maxwell, Israel Super Spy, written by Gordon Thomas and Martin Dillon, they quoted uh, Robert Maxwell's uncles talking about their, you know his mother, and so I was able to get information about his mother in that way. Um, so. Uh, he you know, he it wasn't his entire family. Okay, it was so his it did immediate yeah. it, family.
0: It almost seems like a comic book story, like it really like you know, like Magneto or something. I think that is how right. Magneto got his powers in the X-Men movie. So I wanted to just ask what the you know, because I, I don't think I think with Robert Maxwell, you can't really believe anything he says. You know, I think he, point. he just yeah. lies all the time. So now I, I can't remember what book this is from. There is there was a time. Where Robert Maxwell was in business with Semyon Mogilevich, right? Yes. When was that? Do you, do you, is that uh, what were the circumstances of that?
1: I hate to tell you, but everybody in that world was in business with with him. Um, I believe that started in the nineteen eighties. Although I would have to go back to my notes, and the reason it started was because. You know what what Robert Maxwell did for, let's say, people behind the Iron Curtain was to move money right to launder money. Um, He did that for a lot of people for for Simeon. He did the same thing. Um, And he also got him a lot of passports. You know, I think it was like 30 or so. And they were they were doing business with the Bank of New York, which you know had a, a devastating effect with the actual bank that the bank of new york was really the bank of the Ru- russian mobsters um i know that um if you look at this group of extreme zionists they're all connected to the bank of new york and edmund safra who you know was the head of the bank of new york and we know how he died right i Sort of like he—he he was killed at his home, even though he was surrounded by guards. He hid in the bathroom, and he—he um, he was the place was burned, and he hid in the bathroom with a nurse. And the place was burned, and in the end, you know, he—he he didn't survive. But that's what happens when you do business with the Russian mafia.
0: Right, and just so people listening might not know, Semyon Mogilevich is you know, the godfather of godfathers of what we call the Russian mob, but it's really just the transnational organized crime that's based in Eastern Europe, basically the former Soviet satellite states. So yes. He's actually Ukrainian by birth, but yes. we call it Russian mob. So he is a guy now who lives in Moscow and is working hand in glove with Putin. It's much older now. And he's the he was called the Brainy Don. He was the one who you know, really leaned on the money laundering aspect of things. He also liked the violence, but the money laundering stuff was where he, you know, kind of really shown, you know, he took, uh, I think I put this analogy in, in something, I can't even remember now, you know, what Meyer Lansky wrote the novel and 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 Mogilevich made it into a blo- the blockbuster movie kind of thing with money laundering. Oh,
1: so. that's a good line. I like that. Yeah. It's kind of true, right? It, it's true, it's yeah. Meyer Lansky uh. is like a semi... It's like he's, he's a tenth of what Simeon is.
0: Yeah, yeah. But you couldn't have yeah. one without the other. So the sure. fact that Robert Maxwell is doing business with this guy for yeah. any reason is definitely eyebrow raising. Um, I believe there's a report from British intelligence that was released that said that they thought British intelligence thought that Maxwell was a KGB spy. Um, I don't know. You're right. Yeah. Yes. So. He's got ties to that, you know. He, there was enough Russia yes. stuff between Mogilevich and and everything else for British intelligence to suspect him of being a spy for but Russia. But here's
1: here's the thing, Greg. Um, he was he was an intelligence asset, and it's MI five doesn't really own to this. But I will send you some information additionally if you want, so you can verify it on your own. But uh, Robert Maxwell was a spy for MI5. They recruited him. He was a spy for the Russians, you know, and and I'll send you that as well. He was a spy for Mossad. The only reason he was not outed, I mean, look, we have Seymour Hersh, the Samson option, who is, you know, he... He won the Pulitzer for his work, you know, his book on Vietnam uh, many years earlier, and he also exposed the CIA's hand in the 1953 murder of Frank Olson, the CIA scientist who somehow fell or was pushed out of the 10th floor window of the Hotel Statler that was then renamed the Hotel Pennsylvania. And now it's renamed something else because Fornado bought it and they all always do that. They just, you know, they just rebrand something that has a bad connotation. But Seymour Hersh outed him as a spy. So the only reason And he had been coming into the United States, Robert Maxwell, from the 1950s, as I write in my book. And I write in my book that, you know, that J. Edgar Hoover would have all kinds of agents following him around and even had agents, kind of people watching him at the airport, at the Plaza Hotel, installed a couple of guys in the room adjacent. He wanted to know what he was saying, who he was saying it to, who he was having sex with, what kind of sex he had. I mean, he wanted to know everything, but ultimately J. Edgar Hoover did nothing. And the only reason he did nothing is because he was being blackmailed the whole time. So I tell people when you research a character like Robert Maxwell, where there are actual FBI files that you you can access, Don't just rely on the FBI files because those two are cleansed, right? Not only do we have redactions, but we have uh, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who was the head of it at the time, who couldn't do anything. Otherwise, you know, his life was going to be exposed. So that I tell people, you have to dig a little deeper. And that's what I did. But I, you know, I don't come out and say this. I never in the book say anything. I just quote who said what. You know, I don't say
0: I, you know. Yeah, no, you don't, you you let us make our own conclusions. Yeah. And I think a guy like Maxwell is, you know, he's complicated because is he, who ultimately is he working for? Is it the Soviets? Is it the British? Is it the Israelis? Uh, is it organized crime? Probably it's just Robert Maxwell and he doesn't give a shit. You know, I think maybe a guy like this is such a narcissistic jerk that he just doesn't think about it all that much. And what's, what's amazing is that Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein has yeah. so many similar qualities, um, right down to the the kind of, you know, whatever flavor of sex was involved. Ma- Maxwell was a, uh, a philanderer for the ages, um, constantly cheating on his wife, uh, right. almost in a comical way. And she just, you know, didn't it just took it. I mean, she just saw herself yeah. as as completely submissive to him, almost in a way that makes you think. I, I think, as you put in the book, it's very Fifty Shades or Story. Yeah, of that's or
1: what I thought. It was like, yeah. whoa, she was pre Fifty Shades of Gray.
0: Yeah, yeah, and but he and he had that quality. He clearly had that quality that Christian Grey quality of being you know uh, dominant in that way Um, you know we'll never know what what really went on in the bedroom we have to we have to go to J. Edgar Hoover's secret files to find find that well I can tell
1: you a couple of his lovers um, I, I think I have one of these stories in the book but a couple of his lovers have said that he would get so overly excited during foreplay that it never you know but he was very generous with the gifts
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that makes that tracks. You know, that, <laughs> that tracks um, in my book, which is completely fiction. I have him yeah. so plugged in that he gets prototypes of Viagra, which was not commercially oh, available so in 1999, yeah. So he's popping these blue pills and uh, she's like, what's that? And he sort of explains it to her. You, anyway. should, you
1: know, you should re-release that book, frankly.
0: Well, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, it, okay. um, I mentioned Ghislaine Maxwell is mentioned in the book on page three or something. Oh, wow. Is, okay. Um, Yeah. Cause the Robert Maxwell thing. Anyway, uh, enough about my, my book, more about your book, uh, which is more, um, you know, which isn't fiction. <laughs> so, no, so.
1: it's not fiction. This is true.
0: Um, so but I other... want
1: to say something, Greg, before you
0: move on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You compare Jeffrey Epstein with Robert Maxwell, which is done all the time. I don't see the similarity.
0: You don't? Okay. Why is that? Uh,
1: Well, I see because we have seen, let's say, for example, if if I'm sure you remember the video of Jeffrey Epstein walking into the room with uh, Donald Trump being there and Ghislaine is there and they're having this party. It's actually it's the football team has been invited over with the cheerleaders and that's what the party is. And so you see um, that with him, with Epstein, he doesn't have the physical presence, right? That let's say someone like Donald Trump has, or someone like Robert Maxwell had. Robert Maxwell is really more like Donald Trump, or I should say Donald Trump is more like Maxwell. Jeffrey Epstein was not, did not have this big, persona right he kind of blended he had the ability to blend into a room so that he could observe robert maxwell owned the room and then the rooms next door
0: right right, right. now there's a story in the this is a good point there's a story in the book too where he has like a pa system on his person yes. at his house yes. so that he could turn it on and have his voice be really loud which is like jesus what yeah
1: that's in the narcissistic 1970s. much
0: now, yeah what, what i meant about maxwell i, I mean Maxwell and Epstein isn't so much the their personalities as the fact that they're hard to peg. Like Epstein, is he working for Israelis? Is he working for the CIA? Is he working for the Russians? The, who, you know, what's his deal? Is he in with organized crime? We're not totally sure. We may never know. And it's, at the end of the day, it may be just that Epstein was working for Epstein and, you know, trying to live this, you know, perverted Uh, life that he built for himself and keep it going as long as he could. And, you know, I don't know what the answer was.
1: Epstein, I think, was more straightforward. Like Epstein told several people um, that he worked for the CIA. Um, And, and, um, you know, we have seen footage that was taken by a news, um, a television news station in Palm Beach uh, when there was a John Connolly was waiting for him on the tarmac. So just before he's supposed to surrender himself to start his sentence in 2008, uh, Jeffrey Epstein is returning from Israel. Uh, so so we see the connection between Israel and frankly, the Mossad through his connection with Ghislaine. And of course, her father was outed as a Mossad spy. And then we see that he has said, yeah, I worked for the CIA. So I think he was more um, more forthcoming. Some people may not have believed him. Sometimes if you tell someone the truth and it sounds again over the top, no one believes you, uh, but he was able to evade justice. And a good example is when he's working with Stephen Hoffenberg and Hoffenberg comes under scrutiny in 1991 for Towers Financial and the Ponzi scheme. Well, Epstein is really not, and he's running the stuff, right? And he's part of this Ponzi scheme. Epstein is not really touched. And by 1993, when Hoffenberg is put in jail for 20 years, and he serves 18, um, Epstein is not even in the picture anymore. And he's now, you know, firmly entrenched with Ghislaine Maxwell doing what they're doing and so he had help early on so I traced all of that and that's in another one of my books but um I I kind of he has been connected to intelligence agencies uh from very early on in from what I was able to retrieve
0: yeah no my friend Zev Shalev had Hoffenberg on a couple times on his show talking about all this stuff it's pretty interesting um just how the money moved around and who learned what from whom and you know, kind of crazy. So, all right, another thing about Robert Maxwell is that at least politically, he was kind of, you know, uh, liberal, you know, relatively speaking. Um, so when he, you know, put out the press or when he was in parliament, I believe was, he was labor, he wasn't conservative. Um, what was the relationship with him and Rupert Murdoch? Did you know anything about that in your research? Yeah,
1: very contentious. He was very jealous of him. Uh, that was his arch nemesis. So he, I, they, they both made a bid. I, I think it was for the mirror. I don't recall that it was for the mirror and he lost to Rupert Murdoch. Um, he then went and then called him all kinds of names and 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 he began really a lifelong um, sort of, it's less, it was almost very stupid, honestly, because <laughs> you're having this boyish kind of, competition with another grown man it seemed really foolish to me
0: um what you've just described is basically how wall street functions as far oh, okay. as okay as far as i understand it i only you know understand wall street from watching like billions but um, <laughs> i think there's a lot of that um petty competitive you know bro on bro kind of bullshit going on yeah murdoch oof horrible, horrible person. Okay. So another thing about Robert Maxwell, that's kind of curious is that he seems to be kind of tight with the Royal family and the queen. Um, how did that happen? Because the queen is, I would think somebody hard to, you know, hard to get to know socially, right. Or wrong.
1: That happened early on. I mean, he, um, in London, it's sort of like the, the, the people who have money, Uh, go to the same events and especially when he purchased the football team which or the soccer team they they call it football we call it soccer when he purchased that the royal family would come to that or they would go to premieres and the royal family would be there he was he was a he was a social climber you know we saw that during the war you know he 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 taught himself many things and what he couldn't teach himself. He would latch on to someone to sort of learn it from, right? He latched on when he was in, he's still a a young man. And at that time, he was a good looking young man, you know? He latched on to this kind of wealthy girl who had parents who took him in and sort of, he, he he, he was like a sponge. He picked up because he wanted to ascend. His mother did leave him with the words behave like an English gentleman and don't don't tell anyone you're Jewish I mean it it came from her his initial denial that he was Jewish or a Zionist and then the more power and the more money he was able to obtain then he felt he didn't have to lie about it anymore and and I so I do believe that he was a devout a Zionist um and uh, that his True, a lot. Although he was greedy, right? So he, he was he put himself first, but if he put anything second, it would have been Israel.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And that and that 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 comes back to the last question about him, which is you know a, as you mentioned, November fifth, nineteen ninety one. Yeah. he's out on his yacht off the coast of Grand Canary Island, and he's probably had a couple too many cocktails, and I believe he's naked.
1: He was always naked. Yeah,
0: and he either falls or was pushed uh, to his death. So, um, before there can be an autopsy, the body is brought back to Israel, where he's buried at the Mount of Olives. So we can never go there and dig it up to have another autopsy. That's like forever not going to. Well,
1: no, it. he has two autopsies. The first autopsy happens in Spain because he he falls off the yacht, the Lady Ghislaine uh, in the Canary Islands, off, off of Spain. And, and so the first autopsy is done there. And by the way, uh, the family is, is you know, they, they wanna bury him so quickly that he is buried without his brain and without his organs. And at some point in the future, Betty Maxwell remembers and has to go retrieve the brain from Spain, which is very... I, I, I didn't want to be that gory, so I did not include that in the book.
0: It's such a good um, rhyme, though. Get the brain from Spain.
1: <laughs> Get the brain from Spain.
0: And give it to Ghislaine. Okay.
1: And, and give it to Ghislaine. Well, she she kind of needs it. She's uh, For her to continue to ask to be released on bail is ridiculous, in my opinion. But anyway, then, she, then he has a second autopsy in Israel, and then he's buried. Uh, but because... And it's really almost the same thing that happened with Epstein when he died. He, you, people want their insurance money. So nobody wants to say he committed suicide. I don't believe he committed suicide. I do believe he was murdered. I don't believe he had an accident and fell overboard because he had torn when, during the autopsy. They did discover torn muscles in his, on his shoulder. So it indicated that he held on to the yacht for a period of time and then he lost his grip. I, you know, I, I kind of believe uh, what Gorton Thomas and Martin Dillon wrote in their book that he was, that he was murdered by the Mossad.
0: Well, um, Ghislaine Maxwell also thought that he was murdered. So
1: true. Yeah. You
0: know. but uh, Ghislaine
1: Maxwell just to and just because people people hear that and they think, oh, it's funny because she's working for the Mossad, in my opinion, and she's also working for the CIA, in my opinion. But how can you do that if if they killed your father? I don't believe Ghislaine feels they killed her
0: father. When you were writing the book, obviously you've been studying this for a long time. Was there anything in particular, any one thing that stood out to you that made you go, oh my God, I didn't know that? That was like a, a surprise.
1: Um, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know that I had to dig, you know, I had to Lucky for me, I was able, because I've been working on the Epstein story for a very long time, that every time I saw a photograph, I would keep a photo so that as I started to, because initially my idea wasn't to write many books on Ghislaine. Initially, I wanted to write one book that took her from birth to jail, right? Right. I, I, I thought I could do it in one book, but the when I started getting into it, I'd be, oh my goodness, I didn't know this, you know, I didn't know, for example, I didn't know that she had gotten into Oxford because of a Robert Maxwell scholarship, that he had given a certain amount of money to the school, and that Glenn really didn't pay for it, you know, neither, none of the Maxwell children paid for their education. There was just so much, there was a lot of stuff I would say a lot of that I just didn't know because the press doesn't cover it.
0: Right. You know, there was a lot of, in the book, him paying for things, but not really paying for things. Like even the, what is it, Heading, what is it called?
1: Headington Hill Hall, Headington Hill
0: Hall. Like he got, he bought that, but he bought it for way below market value, and he bought it so that his publishing company could go there, and then and then he just moved in. You know.
1: Well, so, I mean, so, so but but like in the UK, it's a different thing. It's sort of like it was a it was it belonged to to uh, it actually belongs to Buckingham Palace. Frankly, the land that he where he had the house, so it was more of a rental. He was able to rent it for ninety nine years. For a very small amount of money, and and um, he never bought a home. The only home that he bought, he bought a home for Ghislaine. She, she ended up with two homes: one Jeffrey Epstein paid for, and the other one her father paid for. Mm. And I think he was able to get Betty Maxwell a home, but he he paid it was pennies on the dollar for to live in a fifty three room mansion. And then he expensed he he you know he he moved in Pergamon Press so that he could expense the whole thing. He had his home and his office and his children and his staff all on the same premises. It was crazy.
0: Well, you know, I think the word is scoundrel. This is what this guy yeah, is. He's a scoundrel. True. It looks like we're almost out of time. Amazingly. Cause I feel like we just started, started talking. Wow. Tell me, tell everybody uh, again, the title of the book where they can buy it and where they can find you.
1: The title of the book is Ghislaine Maxwell, An Unauthorized Biography. You can find me on Twitter, Kirby Summers. Um, The book is available on my website, KirbySummers.com. It will be available on Kindle. Um, You know, just go to Amazon. It'll be on Kindle. It'll be available. Also, you can order it as a book. It'll be in bookstores. There will be an audible version of it in another month or so. Um, so, Ghislaine Maxwell, an unauthorized biography. I think you guys will like it. If you want to know what mainstream media is not telling you, I tell you in this book.
0: Yeah, it's painstakingly researched. I mean, that's for sure. And yeah. I should—it's Summers with an O, S O M M E R S, not nope, not a not a U. Kirby, thank you so much for joining me. This was fantastic.
1: Well, no, I want to thank you for your amazing uh, forward. Um, it, I, I told you that when I received it, I cried. It was just so wonderful. So thank you for that and thank you for having me on.
0: It's my pleasure. Good luck with the book.
1: Thank you. Have a nice day. You Bye. Too.
0: The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Sofia Terashenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice Talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Cigna Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregolier.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail.